I loved how in worship we were singing, prepare the way of the Lord. And one of the ways that we prepare the way of the Lord is that we worship God. The Bible tells us that God comes and inhabits the praises of his people. And so we start out service, we start out our gathering, preparing our hearts through worship. But another way we prepare the way of the Lord in our heart is through the reading of the word. Through the reading of the word. Do you guys know that the word of God is powerful? The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not just any book and it's not just any word. That there is an authority behind the word of God. Amen? So let's start out today reading in Romans chapter 11. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And that last part is what I really want to touch on today. For of him and through him and to him are all things. And he deserves the glory. And what Paul was saying here is that all of creation, ourselves, our salvation, everything came through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But also that everything is sustained by his power. Do you guys know that? That we continue to move, to live, to breathe, that the laws of earth and all of creation are sustained by the power of God. And our rightful response is to give him glory forever. I was at a dinner um, a while ago with a bunch of friends, and I was in conversation, and we were talking about a lot of things that had happened, are happening in the world today. And there was a statement that one of the ladies said that stood out to me, and she said, man, our world, we really idolize self. And so I was hearing this statement, I've heard it before, it wasn't anything new, and I'm thinking, yeah, like, the world really does idolize self. Like, we're, we're a selfish world, right? We're, we're looking to pursue happiness and fame and money and fortune and all of these things. And I was kind of thinking of, like, the world out there, and then God did what God always does, and he's like, yeah, but you never do that, right? You're never selfish, right? And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably a little selfish sometimes. And he started to show me some things in my life where it's kind of a subtle shift. It's really a subtle shift to go from God-focused to me-focused. You know, for example, in some of my prayers, have you guys ever prayed a prayer where it's like, man, I really want that new thing, that new job, that new car, that new whatever. Hey, God, can you make that happen for me? Maybe we don't say it kind of like that. Like, we walked with God for a long time. We have some really good Christian words for that. But the kind of the, the premise of the prayer is, hey, God, I've seen something that I want. Can you make that your will for my life? None of you guys. Okay, that's totally great. That's just me that does that. Um, but, but I was starting to think, like, I really want to pray like Jesus did in the garden. You know, what Jesus said is, hey, God, I want your will. I also want to not drink this cup that you're giving me. Like, I really don't want to go to the cross. I really don't want to do that. But at the end of the day, I want your will. And so I started saying, like, God, I want to pray prayers more like that. That, that your will's first. Like, I start and end my prayer with, I really want your will. Like, I'm going to submit what I, you know, think and what I see, but I really want your will in my life. And so the title of this message today is Me Christianity. It's Me Christianity. And the question I want to ask you as we go through today is, who are you, who am I serving with my life? Am I serving myself 
or am I serving God? Am I trying to glorify myself or am I trying to glorify God? So let's start in prayer. Dear Father God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you come and you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord, that you come and you sit with us and that you show us those subtle things in our life so that we can walk in a, in a way that pleases you, that brings you glory, that honors you, and that brings us blessing. We give you glory and honor today. In your name we pray. Amen. So I was going through some statistics. I love statistics. And I was researching, and it said that 65% of Americans are Christian. 65% of Americans are Christian. I know some of you who maybe followed some of those statistics, you're like, oh, that's down from where it was. But I was kind of thinking, like, that's pretty good, right? Like 65%, over half of America are Christians. But then I started thinking, like, do we look like that? As a country, do we look like that? Do we look like 65% of our country are Christians? So I did a little further research, and I found that only 6% of those Christians have a biblical worldview. That's a bit shocking, isn't it? kind of answers the question as to why we maybe don't look like a Christian nation, but 6% of people have a biblical worldview. What's even more interesting is 11% of Christians read their Bible. 11% of Christians read their Bible, which means that there's a portion of Christians that read their Bible and say, yeah, but I'm going to pick and choose what I want to adhere to. But there's an even larger percent of people that call themselves Christians that they don't read the Bible. They don't even really know what it says, that the majority of what they get is what they get from people, you know, like, like me, pastors, or maybe podcasts, or things like that, or maybe nothing. Because there are a portion of Christians that have been hurt, that have been offended, and they don't even come to church. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, the definition of a Christian is what? A follower of Christ, Right? And I think most Christians would believe, yeah, we're a follower of Christ. That's what we accepted Jesus into our heart, to follow Christ. And if the Bible is the revelation of who Christ is, and we don't know what the Bible says, then who are we following? We're following where the world leads. Because if we're not intentionally following something, we're by accident following the way the world pulls us. Hence my message. This isn't a one-and-done deal. We don't choose to follow Christ once and then we're done. We have to keep pursuing him our whole life. The Bible teaches us that as Christians, we're to discipline our flesh. And we're to transform our mind by the renewing of the word. If we're not daily in the Bible, regularly in the Bible, our mind is being transformed by something, but it's not who Jesus is. It's not the revelation of who Jesus is. The Bible also says that we can't serve two masters. I know this is starting out a bit heavy. Just stay with me. It's encouraging at the end. But the Bible says that we can only serve two masters. So if we're not serving God, then we're serving self. Because pretty much all that fame, all that fortune, all that money, all the other things is basically to please ourself, right? So there's two masters that we can serve, God or self, and if our mind isn't being transformed into the revelation of who Christ is, we're by default serving self. So I want to take you to a story in the Bible. It's in 1 Samuel, and it's about King Saul. 
Like, I'm really loving King Saul right now. There's so much that God's speaking to me through his life and through King David. And I want to start out reading in chapter 13, verse 8. And it says, Then he, Saul, waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done? When I saw that the people were scattered for me, Saul said, that you didn't come in the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on Gilgal and I haven't made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. So what's happening here? So they're in a battle, and they're set up. They haven't started fighting yet. But here, the armies of Israel, they're against the armies of the Philistines. This happened often in the Bible. And what was kind of customary is they would offer um, sacrifice to the Lord, so the Lord would tell them, am I going to win this battle, or are we not going to win this battle? It's a good thing to do, right? We want to know if the Lord's going to be with us. So Saul was fully aware that he needed God on his side. And he was fully aware that he needed to offer sacrifice. But Samuel, the prophet of God, said, wait seven days. And God said that it's the priests that are to offer sacrifice. Are you guys starting to see what happened here? Okay. So what Saul said and what stood out, if we can put back up um, verse 11, Saul's answer to Samuel was when the people were scattered from me and the enemy was going to come down on me that I decided. Do you guys see that? Saul was very focused on himself in this moment. He, he had his eyes on what he wanted, what he felt was right, and what he wound up doing is basically tried to use God to serve himself. Like I started in the beginning, I was like, have you ever had a prayer where you're like, hey, God, I really want this. Can you make that your will? That's what Saul was doing here. He was like, God, like Samuel didn't show up. We really need to win this battle. I'm going to go ahead and do it my way to get the answer that I feel like I need. But that doesn't work with God, does it? To live in freedom and abundance and blessing that God has for us, the depth of relationship that he has for us, we have to recognize that when we are focused on self, we won't walk in that. We have to be centered on God. So we, were, we go to vacation in Florida. We've been doing that for probably about 10 years now. And Matt keeps a vacation journal. Does anybody else keep a vacation journal? No one. Okay, so I thought he was a little weird, but it's totally okay. Um, so what is, what is in this vacation journal is in large majority what we eat. <laughs> He's a foodie. And that's how he recalls things. There's a couple, like, cheers out there. I see that. Um, that's how he recalls things. He's like, hey, what did we eat on this day? Oh, yeah, and that triggers what we did. So if you ever want to know what we like to eat, just borrow the vacation journal. It's all in there. But there is a handful of other things that have happened throughout our different vacations that help me trigger things. Like, for example, one time uh, Annalise was riding a bike. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago, so she should have been pretty good at it. But she wound up running smack into a truck. And so we had to spend time calling the insurance company and all of this stuff. So that is definitely in the vacation journal. One time Evie fell out of the baby boat and was drowning and Matt was putting on the life jackets for the other kids, and I'm swimming back going, what's sinking in the water? So it felt like eternity. It really probably wasn't as long as what it seemed, um, but we got her. She's good, totally fine. You guys are really, like, questioning our parenting at this moment, aren't you? 
Uh, one time, uh, we, it started raining at the pool, and we packed up all of our stuff, and we ran back to the house because it was within walking distance, putting the stuff in the house. The other kids are dancing in the rain. We look up, and there comes Annalise walking. She was probably four. So um, we left her. She remembers that really well. But last year was a year that we will remember forever. Last year, we had a bunch of mishaps that happened. Uh, for example, Matt realized how old he was at, at that moment when day one, he decided to race the kids on the beach. At 43, you need to stretch a little bit. He didn't do that, and so he had pulled his hamstrings and limped around the rest of the vacation. I broke my foot. That was fun. Just running upstairs. Guys, getting old is, is not for the faint of heart. Um, I broke my foot, and I was on crutches for most of it. When we were leaving, we were like, okay, this is done. We had a mishap with the dishwasher. Matt thought that it needed a little extra oomph. He put some Dawn in there. Yeah, so some of you have done that. Totally understand. Um, it took us about 30 minutes to clean up the suds. They were all over the floor before we could finally leave. But we get on the road to go, and about an hour into the trip, our alternator went out. Mind you, I'm on crutches, ice on my foot. We call roadside assistance. About two and a half hours later, we find that they don't, really, they don't really travel in Florida too much, so just call a tow truck and like two and a half hours later. Um, so, and I'll just tell you this as quick as I can, because it's really funny, but um, Matt called someone. He's like, I'm pretty sure the alternator's out. We need to find an alternator today, because this is Friday. He's got to preach on Sunday. We have got to get home. Uh, so he calls. He finally finds a shop. His name is Juan. Doesn't really have a name to the shop. Should have triggered something, but we have to get to the shop, because we have nowhere else to go. Uh, we realized when he called the tow truck that they don't take eight. They don't, they don't make tow trucks that fit eight. So we're like, what are, what are, what are we going to do? There's eight of us. Like, we have to get somewhere. And so they're like, just call law enforcement. They'll totally take you. Uh, so great, two SUVs pull up, law enforcement, to take us. And I'm thinking, good, we'll go into SUVs, except for there's only two seats in the car. It makes no sense. But all the other stuff was in the car, and they're like, we're going to have to do this in two trips. So we're trying to pick which kid gets to stand on the side of the road, you know, until the police officer comes back. Uh, so anyway, I go first so that I can greet Juan and sit in the waiting room and all of that, except for when they drop us off, there's no waiting room. No, it was, it was a garage of someone's house. So there's a house and a garage, and I'm on crutches. And so I get out, and I'm thinking this police officer's going to be like, bad choice, you want to go somewhere else? No, he's like, have fun. Um, I'm going to go get the other kids and bring them back. So, you know, fast forward, Juan says we can sit on the porch of the house that he rents out to someone else. They weren't super clean, um, so, so we're sitting on the porch. Me and seven kids in crutches sitting on the porch, and uh, I'm texting Matt going, when are you getting here? He's like, the tow truck isn't here. And I'm like, you don't understand what's happening here. The kids are trying to play with, like, laundry soap bottles and diapers that are, that are here. Like, we've been sitting here for a while. So in this moment, Matt shows up, and I'm going to confess what I did. I said, you get me out of here right now, or I'm going to call Uber, and whatever it costs, I'm going to pay it. And I'm going to find the first nice hotel, and whatever it costs, I'm going to stay there. Like, I'm not, I'm not staying here anymore because this is all about me, and I'm, and I'm uncomfortable. Um, so anyway... There were some other things that happened, like we got it fixed, got back on the road, tire blue, had to do it all again about two hours later. I mean, it was really fun. And then just to sum it up, on Sunday, Matt came, preached, great message. He went to come run back in to get my keys because I'm on crutches, so he's got to run back in to get my keys, and he ran into a door and broke his nose. 
I'm not making it up. I, I mean, that all really actually happened uh, within a matter of like a week and a half time. And so I was, I was a little um, angry. Uh, there was some time throughout this that I'm like, God, what is going on? I, I'm a tither. This is all about me. Like, you should be taking care of me. You should be doing all of these things for me. Why are you not doing that for me? Why are you not taking care of me? And God, thankfully, because he's so good and he's so gracious, he's like, let me help you see some things here. Let me help you see that that tow truck driver that Matt sat and was talking to on the very long wait that I was waiting, he was ministering to. He was ministering to. And you know, that was over a year ago now, and he still stays in contact with that guy. It was really cool. Um, the guy who worked on my foot, he was a young PA at this um, office that we went to, and I had multiple visits with him. That's what happens when you break your foot. You get to go there all the time. So it was an opportunity to really talk to him and minister to him and get to know him and tell him about Jesus as well. There was repair guys that came because we had some appliances that broke all at the same time. And so we got to have people in our home that got to feel the presence of God and ask questions. Like God was doing so much through that time. But there was one big thing that I didn't realize. There was a lot of money involved in a lot of these things, fixing cars, fixing appliances, doctor's visits and stuff. And God had already provided for that beforehand, beforehand. And so when I was feeling like I was losing, God's like, no, I already prepared that for you. And you're missing what I'm wanting to do. When self is what everything revolves around, then things aren't healthy. I was pretty grumpy. I was mad. I was, I was maybe yelling at Matt in that moment when I'm like, if you don't get me out of here, you know, like it, it probably didn't go really well. Like, I know I look really sweet and all, and you guys would never believe it in a million years. But, you know, if I get angry, I, I cannot sound so nice. And he, he got to be the benefit of that. And so I had to apologize. But in that moment, I was missing what God was doing because I was focused on me. When Samuel was talking to Saul, and Saul was like, hey, this is what I did. This is, this is all about me. And I just went ahead and did it on my own. Samuel said, you done foolishly. You didn't keep the commandment of the Lord. You were seeking your own kingdom and now that's actually going to be taken from you. That was the consequence of Saul responding selfishly in that moment. And what I, what I get out of that part of the scripture is that if God told Saul to wait, then God wanted to do something in that moment. When God led us through all of those things, God was wanting to do something in the moment. One, God was wanting to work some selfishness out of me. And he was doing that in that moment. Because we can't go further in the things that God wants for us if we allow things to stay. And God is willing to take those things out of our life if we will let him. And that's what God was doing in me. And so here, Samuel is saying, you did selfishly. You're going you're gonna to lose the kingdom. And at that moment, Saul had a decision to make. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to say, oh, okay, oh well, and move on? Or are you going to repent? There's some things that happen when we choose to continue to walk in selfishness. I mean, we're all there sometimes. Like, I know you guys all have moments sometimes where your voice is not so nice. When you're focused a little on yourself, it's not just me, it's okay. But we have a moment or an opportunity in that moment when God reveals it to us to choose how we're going to handle it. And I just want to talk for a minute the consequence of choosing to remain in that selfish 
place. One is it robs us of relationship. It robs us of relationship. Our relationship with God, it's the most precious thing we have. It's the most priceless thing we have is this relationship with God. I mean, think about it for just a moment. The creator of the universe sent his son, his son, like parents. Can you imagine sending your son or your daughter to die for anyone? That's what God did for us, to restore relationship, to restore relationship, not to condemn us. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He sent his son to redeem and restore relationship for us. It's the most priceless thing that we have. We see that in Samuel 13, in the beginning, it says that Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, all these things began to happen. It's really sad that here's this man that was appointed by God, chosen out of the midst of Israel, out of all of the options that were there. God chose him. He picked him. And Saul walked with him for two years out of 40 in relationship. For two years out of 40. I don't want to spend my life saying, God, you did something good for me in a little bit. You redeemed me once. You picked me once. And then I'm going to walk out of relationship with you. I want to stay close in relationship with God. Relationship is the state of relating to. It's the state of relating to. And so I can relate to someone as they are. Like my husband, I can relate to him as my husband, and he's our provider, and he's the head of our home. Or I could relate to him like I relate to my kids. The benefits of relating to him for who he is outweighs what I'm going to receive from him in relationship if I relate to him as something different. Let me tell you an example. Matt was on a golf course because I would not be on a golf course. I would be really bad on a golf course. So I get to use his golf stories um, to tell you things. But he was on a golf course, and he was with three other guys, and he knew all of them pretty well. But they didn't necessarily know each other pretty well. And he came home after this game, and he's like, I realized something interesting about men. I'm like, really? Tell me, please. Like, I want to know something interesting about men. And he was like, it was really funny, because on the golf course, there was one guy who, he's, he's really wise. And he has a lot to offer spiritually to, to the people that are there. Like, he's got a great testimony and all of this stuff. But he's not a great golfer. He's not a great golfer. And these other two guys are actually really good golfers. They're really good golfers. And so instead of those two guys having the types of conversations that would maybe receive an iron sharpen iron from the first guy, they were kind of like, well, let me tell you how to do it. Let me help you out a little bit. You know, like things like that. And he was like, I just found, found it funny that because they didn't know who he was, they didn't relate to him in a way that would receive benefit. And that's what I'm trying to say. If we don't see God for who he is, we're not going to receive the benefit of the relationship that he died for us to have. We're not going to get all of the promises. We're not going to get the things that he has for us if we don't see him as provider, if we don't see him as faithful, if we don't see him as trustworthy. We're going to miss so much relationship if we don't see him as good. If we see him as an angry God always mad at us, we're going to miss so much. I missed so much in so many years of my life because I saw him as an angry God waiting to punish me. And that's not our God. That's not our God. Everything that we have that is good, everything, flows out of a relationship with the Father. When we don't see God for who he is, is the one that all things are to 
and all things are through, we miss out on much. It also robs us of our identity when we have a selfish walk and view. It's from our right relationship with Christ and developing an accurate understanding of who he is that we find our identity. These two go hand in hand. Because if we don't have a good relationship with God, we don't have a good identity in view of ourselves. When I felt like God was angry at me all the time, I felt like I wasn't worth anything. Because I could never measure up to the standard that I thought he had for me. And so I was not walking in identity that I should have been because I wasn't walking in relationship with the Father. Here are some ways that the Bible describes our identity. And catch these. They say, in Christ. That our relationship with God, our identity is found in Christ. United with Christ. United, joined together with Christ, we find our identity. The body of Christ is what we're described as. My body all works together. Hopefully your body all works together. You can't have one part missing in your body work right. And so if we don't see ourselves as the body of Christ with him as the head, then our identity is not what it should be. When we are not in a close relationship with him, we can't fully discover who we are. And there is a God-given drive in all of us to discover who we are. Have you guys ever asked the question, what am I here for? It's like statistics say one of the biggest questions asked by all of the world for all time. What am I here for? That's our identity. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Why was I born? Why was I chosen versus someone else? We find that in God. We were created for relationship with him and to fulfill a purpose that he wants to work through us. You only find that by being close to the Father. We see that Saul was one of God's people. He was already chosen. The nation of Israel and all of those people, they were already chosen out of every other nation. He was already chosen. And then he was chosen to be king. But do you know he spent the rest of his life trying to defend his place? He was tormented by fear. David had to come and play the harp for him because he was tormented by a spirit. He spent his life trying to go after an identity outside of the relationship with God. And that's what he walked his life with, his torment and fear and all of that. My question is, do you know who God says you are? Do you know who God says you are? And the next thing I want to talk about is when we aren't in, uh, or when we have a selfish mindset towards God, it takes us out of God's blessing. It takes us out of God's blessing. The first commandment says that we're to have no other gods before God. There is no one else that's supposed to sit on the throne of our heart. And as a little girl growing up in Sunday school, we would draw pictures of like thrones in our hearts. You guys ever do that? It was just my weird Sunday school teacher. Okay. Um, but, you know, who are you going to put on the throne of your heart? And it's a really actually good picture. Jess, you can use this anytime you want to. Um, is, is, are you going to sit on the throne of your heart? Or is God going to sit on the throne of your heart? Who's going to lead? In, a, in our world, in America, I often think about this. Like the Bible describes God as king and master and Lord. And I sit and think, like, in our Western world, we probably don't really understand that as we should. We don't have a king, and we don't have a master, and we don't have a lord, and, and we don't really relate to anyone here like that. I mean, man, if our parents tell us something to do that we really don't want to, half of us are like, I ain't listening to you. Like, we don't even relate to them well, much less a king or a master. And so when the Bible describes God as that, like, I really have to spend time going, okay, I want to know what that means. I want to know what that means. 
And it means that when God says to do something, we do it, whether we understand it or not. I, I tend to want to be like, God, show me why and how and when, and I'll let you know then. Like, can, can I just do it after you give me the details? And God's like, no, that's not master. And that's not Lord. And that's not king. You have to trust me. And when you surrendered your life to me that day, when you accepted me into your heart, you accepted me as Lord. And you accepted me as master. Are you going to honor that? God, he loves me so much that he gives me simple pictures to help me understand. You know, sometimes he's just got to really break it down for me. And he's going to help me to understand. And so he gave me this picture of what it looks like to walk in covenant with God and walk with him being king and Lord. He said, this is my covenant with you. There's all these promises in the Bible. There's promises in marriage. There's promises in tithing. There's promises in Sabbath. Like all these promises in the Bible. And and the way I relate to you is this. I have it for you right here. Right here. So if you come into a marriage relationship and you are only intimate within that, it's one man and one woman in that, then there is a blessing and a covering. I'm going to unite you together as one. I'm going to unite your purposes. I'm going to be in the midst of you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. You're not going to like them sometimes, but I'm going to help you learn to love them. You're going to want to smack them sometimes, but I'm going to help you see them differently. Like, you think you know, like, you know what's right, and I'm going to help them see that. That's, God does that for me and Matt all the time. Like, he, I know that what's right, and I have to be like, God, can you just show him eventually? Um, and he does that. Or maybe sometimes he shows me that I was wrong and I didn't know what I was thinking. But that's what God is. He said, now you can have relationship other ways. You have free will. You can do it other ways. But the covenant blessing is within this. Within this. I don't hate you if you do it a different way. I just can't bless that. With tithing. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you provision. And I I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will rebuke the devourer for you within the covenant of tithing. Right here. You you can spend your money however you want. I don't need your money. I can can develop money. I I have a cattle on a thousand hills and all of those things. I don't need your money. But if you want the blessing I have for you, you have to do it here. In this space of tithing. That's how God operates. Like I thought God was mad at me all the time if I did it and he was punishing me. He's not punishing me if I don't tithe. He's just not blessing me. He's not going to come and bless a relationship that isn't how he set for it to be. But he loves me enough to say, come on. Come on, let let me help you. Let me give you my word so you can see how to walk the ways that you're called to walk. To walk in my blessing so that you can have a life that is abundant. We can want, excuse, believe something different and go a different way. But we'll never get God to bless our ways. We will never get God to bless our ways. That's the beauty of he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change. Sometimes I want him to change, but he never changes. And if I will follow him anyway, I'm grateful that he never changes. Because his ways are always better than my ways. As I wrap up here, I want to contrast King Saul and King David just a little bit. King David is Saul's successor. He's the one that took the throne after Saul wound up dying. And King David was described as a man after God's own heart. But King David wasn't perfect. In fact, you know, seemingly in the Bible, King David did a lot of worse things than King Saul. 
Like King David was in adultery and he murdered and, you know, these things. And, and King Saul, he like sacrificed, right? Like, it, like in my mind, I'm like, really? Is that really that much? But King David, his heart was for God. King David, when he was like, hey, you did something wrong, he repented. His heart was broken. He tore his clothes. Don't do that today. Please, keep your clothes on. But King David, he was sorrowful. He wanted to please God. He wanted God to be on the throne of his life. And even though he didn't walk life perfectly, he continued to pursue the Father. He continued to pursue the Lord. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you gave your heart to Jesus, if you accepted him as Lord and Savior, it's no longer you who's living in you. It is Christ that is living in you. And we have the opportunity to follow the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, or to walk by the flesh. But the decision we made on that day was that I am not going to walk by the flesh any longer. I am going to follow Christ because I seen something. I saw something. I gave my life to Christ because I saw something. I saw that I can't do it my own way. I saw that my way doesn't work. I saw that my way gets me in a lot of trouble. If you want to hear the story, I'll tell you. Like, it's not pretty. But my way certainly doesn't work. But God, but God, he washed all that away. He redeemed me. He made me a new creation. You know, the shame and all of that that came with my past, I don't have to carry anymore. Like, I think for me, that was probably the biggest revelation. I walked around with the shame of the mistakes that I made for so long. Even after I gave my life to Christ, I felt guilty. And God came and he said, no, no, daughter. That's not, I didn't die for a partial redemption. I didn't die for a little bit. I died for full relationship with you to make you brand new. What I do, I do in full. And you are a brand new creation. And he will do that for you. My flesh, and maybe yours is like this, my flesh always wants to do what will satisfy my flesh. Like, for example, um, that second piece of dessert, like the cake at the party, like, I, I really wanted that. I, I shouldn't, definitely shouldn't, but I really want it. Working out, like, some of you guys are really good at that. Matt's super good at working out. Me, not so much, not so much. Like, I get up and I'm like, mm, coffee or working out, definitely coffee definitely coffee. Like my flesh never wants to do what's right. Going and telling that person about Jesus that has that mad look on their face that I'm pretty sure they're probably going to bite my head off if I say something. Like I never want to do that. Mm -mm. Well, sometimes I want to do that. But, but usually that's really intimidating and I don't want to do that. My flesh doesn't. But if I choose to walk by the spirit, like God's on the throne. So I need to have coffee later because this is the temple of God. And I need to go tell that person about Jesus because that's the only hope they have. That is the greatest decision that they will ever make. If they could find relationship with their father, whatever they're going through, and I know it's something, whatever they're going through, God will get them through. And he'll wash them away like he washed me, my sins away, and all of that shame, and they will be set free. Why wouldn't I want to tell them that? Because of fear? Because they might be angry? I mean, if I confess, like I do talk to a lot of people about Jesus. Kelly can tell, especially on vacation, favorite time, they'll never see me again. I've never had anyone angry 
I've never had anyone angry. I've had a couple people say, no, thank you, I don't want prayer. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to pray for you extra. You don't even know you need prayer. So that's okay, I pray for them anyway. They don't have to hear it. Um, but I want to follow God. The cost of following Jesus is all of us. It's everything we have. It's a life surrendered. It's a will surrendered. It's a heart surrendered. It costs us everything. But the reward far outseeds the price that we pay. Because the reward is all of him. It's every promise in his book. It's every blessing that he has for us. It's realizing that this life, like we need to remind ourselves of this sometimes, guys, that this life, this is not all it is. Like there is so much more to eternity. There was an illustration that I saw, and it's like this is life, and this, this is eternity. Like if you saw it like that, you'd be like, I don't really care what happens in this small bit. Kind of like, you know, if going to school, like for those of us who are well past school, like high school's horrible for a lot of people, me included, probably because of my choices, you know, but, but high school was like this part of my life. I have all this time to be like, I'm free. I don't have to do all that stuff. Math, eh. Um, no, math's good. Math's good. Uh, sorry, Mrs. Mormon. She's like, what are you doing? Uh, but this life is such a small part of who we are in our existence. Will we sacrifice it to draw other people into eternity with Christ? Will we sacrifice it to bring God glory, the one who laid his son's life down for you? Will we sacrifice it and get the benefits that are in, like really, we're not losing, guys. Like we call it sacrifice because it's sacrificing flesh, but we get so much more when we do. Will we choose to follow him with everything? I love how Paul said in Romans that I do what I don't want to do and I want to do what I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Do you guys know that? Like, I just want to encourage you. Like, we're all there. We're all in that place. Even the Apostle Paul. It's like, man, I wanted to do this. I knew it was the right thing. I didn't do it. But I really should have done this. Like, I really should have talked to that person and I didn't. The Bible, like, it says highlights. But there was so much more to Paul's life and he certainly didn't do everything perfect because he was human too. And this scripture proves that. But yet Paul still pressed on. Yet he still pressed on. He surrendered his life. When he realized he should have done something different, he's like, God, forgive me. I'm going to do it right the next time. When he realized he did something that he shouldn't have, God, I won't do that again. Continue to refine in me. I will continue to follow you. The reward is every promise, every victory, every blessing for all eternity.